There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. I'd been getting messages from Spirit for a while that told me we need to talk more about shame and make people aware of what it is and how damaging it can be in our lives. In the message I received, I could see the faces of the people who needed to be a part of this powerful and meaningful conversation. Experience has shown me that when I follow through on these messages and bring together the hearts, minds and souls of incredible specialists in their field that I call friends from around the world, true magic happens. In this special edition of The Ethical Evolution, please join me and my friends, Dr. Ron A. Calvert, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee and Callie Mao as we explore, acknowledge and move through shame to live a life of purpose and freedom. Welcome to this special edition of The Ethical Evolution. Shame has no game with my special guests, Dr. Ronay Calvert, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee and Callie Mao. Now, before we get started, we might just do a quick roundtable to introduce everyone and say who we are and what we do. And I'm going to start with Dr. Laurie Beth. Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, a sex and intimacy coach, and an accredited advanced GSRD, which is Gender, Sex, and Relationship Diversity Therapist. I know that's a mouthful, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've spent the last 33 years working with people to help them create and maintain uh, meaningful relationships with sizzling sex without shame. Um, and uh, the other area of specialty for me is the treatment of trauma and PTSD. So that's where I've spent most of my time, particularly um, dealing with shame. Um, I live in the United Kingdom, uh, despite the American accent, <laughs> for more than half my life. Yeah, you love to confuse us, don't you? Um, now, uh, you've all been previous guests on the show, and, um, and thank you again uh, for joining me. Uh, but I'm going to now cross over to Callie Mao in Alaska. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Callie Mao, and I'm a certified life coach. I help my clients to uh, develop healthy habits so that they can have deeply A lot of us are operating from our shame core or our core wounds, and those wounds tend to carry over uh, into our relationships and how we can function in life. So I help my clients sort of navigate their way through that so that they can experience the connection that they deserve. Amazing. And over to my BFF in LA, Dr. Ronay. 
Well, first, I just want to say, my gosh, I'm so honored, Bindi, as usual, your brilliance in bringing just these minds and souls and hearts together. What a fantastic um, powerhouse uh, panel we have today. I feel like I feel like I'm meeting who could be my best friends um, and uh, speaking my language. Um, it's just I, I just adore being part of this. So thank you. Um, I'm a doctor of psychology, clinical psychology. Um, I am a trauma specialist. I specialize in the whole spectrum of trauma. Basically, I go where trauma lives. Um, so that is taking me everywhere from eating disorders to psychiatric hospitals to prisons to directing both clinically and executively directing treatment centers all over the nation, consulting for them until I finally decided that I think we could do it better. And uh, I know that's a big statement to make, but um, I think uh, I think not only do I do I think we we can, but we have. Um, what that looks like is um, through our concierge program at Live Treatment, and through our um, very small and intimate detoxification facility um, that is actually specialized in dual diagnosis. Um, I've often said, I think also to you, Bindi, as well as on the show, that a singular diagnosis really does not exist. Mm. Um, there is nothing such as a pure alcoholic or a pure drug addict. Um, no one is shoving a heroin needle into their neck for no reason. Um, so getting at the why, getting at the core, getting at what lies beneath it all, um, that is the privilege that I get to call my job. Um, so I am... Uh, double CEO, um, aka or hashtag boss bitch, <laughs> um, uh, and um, get to help. I have the privilege of helping other people um, find their voice, rejoin their bodies. And um, I should mention, you know, Ala Kali, um, I do this outside of my office. So there are in office appointments, absolutely. Um, there are Zoom appointments, absolutely. Um, but I have found nothing more powerful than getting to know people where they are, where they live, where they work, where they exercise, where they breathe um, or don't. And, um, and infusing ourselves into their lives as extensions of their lives so they can truly begin living. Yeah, very, very unique what you do. Um so today um, we're all here to talk about shame and it's it's no stranger to pretty much all of us. Um, and I know um, previously on the show, I think probably a, a very pivotal moment that I remember, uh, particularly with Callie, um, was uh, in, in your uh, episode where we, we imagined, imagined if shame did not exist and we just took a moment to think about that and wow, what a world that would be. Um, so I guess something sparked that day and um, made me realise we need to talk more about this. Um, and that's why we're here today. So I want to start by um, actually recognising what is shame. So um, I'm actually going to uh, pull out a quote from our favourite Brene Brown, um, which uh, let me just share with you. I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. 
In fact, I think shame is more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behaviour than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. I just want to get your thoughts on that. I'll start with you, Kelly. Oh, that resonates deeply. Um, I agree with everything there because I often see how this plays out in our relationships. I think that so many of us, as I said before, we, we operate from these core wounds that are ingrained in us. I mean, they really begin during our formative years, right? Zero to five, zero to seven. They start very, very early on. And they're there because on some level, there we had needs as young children that weren't getting met. And, um, but we, as we grow up beyond our formative years, we go through these life experiences um, still from that programming and anything that fits that narrative that maybe we're not good enough or we're not lovable or we're not worthy, we chalk it up to even further that belief. And so as we reach adulthood and uh, go about having relationships with other people, friendships, romantic relationships, um, co-working relationships, any place where we are connecting with other humans we're still, we have that subconscious programming running in the background. And until we start to resolve those core runes that we're operating from, you know, how, how can we make change? How can we make anything better? You know, I always say, how do people have healthy relationships without becoming healthy individuals? Totally. Mm. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, Laurie Beth? I mean, I, I love that quote. I love that Brene Brown quote. Um, and particularly when you're dealing with people who, um, whose shame is around their sexuality. Um, and cause I, because one my probably biggest specialty these days is dealing with people who are different, right? <laughs> when we say gender, uh, sex and relationship diverse, we mean it. Um, so uh, their desires arise when they're very young. And I think people don't realize how early people um, connect to their sexual desires because we're sexual beings from the day we're born. Mm. And, um, and they know very quickly that they're different. And that is often interpreted as there's something wrong and they're unlovable. Mm. And that makes every relationship that they have from then on problematic. They never feel that they can be accepted. They don't feel they can be authentic or honest because somebody will find out that really they're bad, horrible. I mean, I get all the words from people. Also, a lot of folks, you know, because I do trauma work as well. So I, the populations intermix. And I loved what Dr. Renea said. You know, there is no such thing as a, as a, as a singular diagnosis. I remember when I was studying um, in the dark ages in graduate school, because <laughs> it wasn't, it was a lot of years ago. Um, and we t- talking about the fact that, for example, that particularly with substance abuse is never, it's never just substance abuse. It isn't like, oh, gee, this would be fun. It, there's always something else going on. And the biggest dual diagnosis combination was PTSD and substance abuse. Those were the, the, the ones that went together the most often, the same as personality disorder and substance abuse. 
as well, you know, so there were a bunch of them. And at the root of a lot of trauma and a lot of personality pathology is incredible shame. And the belief that you are not worthy even to exist on this planet. And so then you get the the kind of the, the negative behavior and the dangerous behavior that she talks about in that quote in an effort to protect yourself from actually being made smaller and, and completely disappearing. Mm, absolutely. And, and, you know, shame just makes us want to be invisible and disappear, right? Your thoughts, uh, Ronay? <clears throat> um, you know, gosh, Brene has, has just waved the flag for um, the value of vulnerability and the courage that it takes to walk through our own story, right? And so um, you'll find quotes like that, you know, in abundance um, that that are just pearls of wisdom passed on that in some way we have rephrased or that we knew on a core level, but she's such a beautiful way of concisely and very powerfully um, delivering that message. Um, to add to, I guess, my, my own voice behind shame, um, really, shame is the belief that we are bad, not that we've done something bad, but that we are bad. Yeah. And the greatest trauma of trauma is that internalization, that what was yeah. done to us um, is because we deserved it, that what was done to us, we actually take on the shame that belongs to our perpetrators and we own it as our own. And instead of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the, uh, resentment, all of that, you know, it's, it, it gets a bad rap. A certain amount of resentment is necessary to walk through. You can't actually forgive if you don't know what you're forgiving. And so if you're blaming yourself, if you are interpreting life events as because you deserve them or because you're dirty or you're bad or you're undeserving. Not only can you actually not engage with yourself in a healthy way, but you can't actually truly forgive. And I don't mean, by the way, in any sort of, for every person it's different. It's not necessarily certain things. I'm just, this is me. <laughs> certain things are unforgivable. Um, it, certain things just are. And that it's not, it's not, you know, to say that everything should be forgiven. The act of forgiveness really to me is about the holding on. Do you want to hold on to that feeling or do you want to let go of that feeling as no longer belonging to you? The idea that we must forgive in order to free ourselves of shame, um, that we must forgive what was done to us. Um, and here is the crossover into substance abuse. Um, oftentimes, when there are the steps, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, all of our 12 step social groups, um, there are steps that require us to do some very deep soul searching and to write down what part um, in our addiction, in our behaviors, we had to play. And therein lies a danger. When, when someone is being walked through the steps by a lay person, right? Because this is just a social model. It's just one person helping another. Um, I have had clients write down as things that 
they did as things that contributed to their behavior, things that they owned as being their wrongs, rape, incest, um, you know, passing out at a party and being violated. And it was then, and many times over since then, that I really understood that the models must intersect and that we are doing a great disservice if we don't stop someone in their tracks when that is going on and say to them straight up, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. That's not yours. That's not yours. And it goes back to the idea of, you know, uh, I wish I could quote, you know, chapter and verse of what the court case was. Uh, Unfortunately, I've seen too many of them. I minored in criminal law. And the idea of, well, she was wearing little red lace panties. When what we actually know is that perpetrators perpetrate against those that look weak. They perpetrate mm-hmm. against, often against those who have been perpetrated against before. Um, uh-huh. And so there is, this, there is this energy around, there's this fear that someone is putting out that can be sensed by a perpetrator. They can sniff out. And so the more we, again, the more we invest in that societal blame, the more we invest in that self-shaming, um, there is nothing positive that comes from shame. There is nothing, there's, there's no amending shame. There's no, there's no, you can move through shame, absolutely. But there is nothing positive that grows in shame. There's only something positive in freeing yourself from it. From it. And in freeing yourself from it, you actually free the opportunity to love people in a way where you know what love is without fear. Because where shame lives, you can't actually love without fear. And that's the danger. To love from a fearful place is to love from a dangerous place. Yeah, and, and something you said there actually reminded me of the chat that I had with Laurie Beth some time ago about about uh, perpetrators being able to sense that fear. Yeah, and it's, it, it's yeah. Do you know, I, I, was, um, I was going through some of my stuff my mother gave me because we're, we're moving, so you clean things out. And my mother at one point in the past couple of years gave me a bunch of stuff she'd saved that had to do with me or the family. I was going through it and I found a, an article from The Observer in the United Kingdom from 1995, where I am actually quoted as saying that um, when people have already experienced rape and abuse, one of the things that perpetrators notice is, that, is, is the difference in boundaries. Mm. And that people who have already been perpetrated against are not as quick to go, whoa, you're in my, right? You're in my space. Or they're not as quick to be aware because they're still in their trauma to a degree. They're still not fully present in the world. And perpetrators are good at what they do. And they're looking for that weak person to pick off. And I, I, I know that I say that, but I hadn't realized how early on I was saying that because I was like, this is 93 and I was already saying this and already getting shouted at for saying this because it was misunderstood as me saying it was the victim's fault. I'm like, no, Mm. no, no, it's their fault. But a protection for you is to heal. 
And if we help you heal from trauma, we lower the possibility they're going to perceive you as weak. So you don't need to change the way you dress. You don't need to change the way, you know, where you go. You need to be perceived as strong. And you can't be when you're not feeling it. And you're not able to step into yourself and you're carrying all this shame and they smell that shame Mm. and then they capitalize on it. Well, Dr. Lori Beth, I mean, I think so much of what you're saying too, you know, the intuitive knowing that we have, like you said so many years ago that you wrote this. I mean, I think, I think all of us that are healers, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we get our degrees we get our degrees so that people actually understand what we inherently already knew right I absolutely think love this those already love love this we, we were this you know and then and then we got the title right so that makes perfect sense to me um but you know something else about this is that when you are put in the position or put yourself in the position of always thinking of the other first for your own protection yep. right the idea is those boundaries don't exist because God forbid we should make somebody feel like we're being a bitch if we tell them (laughs) if we tell them that they're in our space, you know, even if it makes it, even if we're highly uncomfortable, we're used to that role of protecting other people's feelings, not our own. And it actually feels ego dystonic, meaning it feels like there is something wrong with protecting ourselves. Um, It feels like we're hurting somebody else to protect ourselves. And, you know, the worst form of betrayals, the worst form of betrayal in my book is self-betrayal. And yet we're, we're taught, we're taught to embrace that from a very young age. We're gaslit into that. I mean, I, 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 I so agree with you. We're gaslit into that. I so clearly remember doing that myself. So clearly remember doing that myself and remember looking at the girl next to me that didn't get attacked, you know, like thinking about her later, like, why didn't he choose her? Why didn't he choose her? Well, because she took one look at him, got the same feeling I did in my gut, but she knew what to do with that. She didn't talk herself out of it. She didn't think she needed to take care of the other person. She turned around and walked away because she wasn't raised in that, whereas I was. Because there are some people who actually aren't raised in it, amazingly so. But, you know, whereas I was, and I, I remember thinking about that later going, what is that? I spend a lot of time with clients helping them find that center and learn to reality test because we, we don't, you know, we, we, we succumb to this belief that actually all those people out there know better and that to trust our gut is, is problematic. But we and we won't be, and bull- again, we buy yeah, our, we bull- our own from bullshit regularly. Yeah. 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 We're good at it. We buy our own bullshit, you know, and um, yep. yeah, yeah, it's it, 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 when you say about looking at the, the person next to you and what she knew and, and how she knew to protect herself, you know, so much of that, too, is are you in your own body enough to even Absolutely. recognize you need to protect yourself? You know, like, like, you know, how many clients have I been with that they didn't see, they didn't see the danger because it was so commonplace to them to live in danger. It was, it was, mm-hmm. it was autonomic, you know? Yeah, Callie, absolutely. You're in agreement with that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. because that was, that was me. Um, I like, I think back to a trauma that I had experienced, um, you know, years and years ago where um, I was raped and uh 
I had no inkling. It was somebody that I was in a relationship with. And mm-hmm. I, it was like, I had no inkling that this person was harmful. Well, why didn't I? Because I was so used to already being harmed. And I grew up in a space already thinking that, you know, I, I wasn't lovable. I, you know, I didn't, I had no way of knowing to trust myself. I didn't, was kind of raised not to, you know, I was raised to listen and obey and do what I'm told rather than explore my own intuition and act on that and let myself, you know, guide myself. I, those were the things that I weren't taught. I wasn't taught, you know, growing up. And so coming into adulthood and just wanting, like someone love me, someone love me. Like you said, predators, they, they can smell that. They can smell absolutely. the weakness. They can absolutely sense when, ooh, there's somebody that I can manipulate and take advantage of. And um, and I had no idea that I was that. And so I went through this relationship and experienced this trauma and held on to it for a, a really, really long time because I was still doing the internal shame spiral after it. Um it was my fault. I should have done this. I was stupid for not reporting it. I was this. I like, I just sort of went down that spiral and then started drinking to numb out from the shame that I was feeling. And it wasn't until years later that I started dealing with that shame, dealing with that trauma, dealing with all of the things that got me to that point that I actually started to heal. I always, I always find that that whole spiral is so fascinating because I deal with people who have unusual desires and, and why, because I have unusual desires. I mean, I come into it, I deal with people who are like me, um, except that I'm fine with me and I have no shame anymore about anything. I published an erotic memoir last year, um, in 2020. And uh, I put all of me right out there in the world. That was sort of the last, any vestiges of shame that were left went when I did that. But, um, you know, I, I went through, to say I went through a rape is like to minimize it. I was held prisoner for five days by somebody I had been involved with. I didn't realize he was dangerous. Part of that is because I had an interest in BDSM from the time I was, didn't know what the words were, but from the time I was very young, to me, the idea of being overpowered was a wonderful thing. So he was my first, I was um, 19 and he was my first like proper BDSM relationship. And the first two weeks were fab. And then he decided that what he was going to do was what he wanted and, and consent and everything went out the window. So because I was interested in that stuff, and because I had sexual responses during the five-day period where I had enjoyment because arousal non-concordance is a thing. Um, and so for people who don't know what that is, that's when your body responds with arousal, but you subjectively are not aroused. It's your body on overdrive and it's got nothing to do with real arousal. I had orgasm. So I thought I would, you know, I was a horrible, terrible person because he you know, took my life in the midst of this. I came back with him pounding on my chest and giving me mouth to mouth. And how could I enjoy any of that? 
I thought it was all my fault because this is what I was into. And even when I was out of it, I was still into this. So while I handled the PTSD, I mean, that took years, but that was the easy bit. The hard bit was actually the shame, which didn't really get touched in handling the PTSD. The hard bit was this core sense that there's something wrong with me. And if I didn't like these things, then I wouldn't be in this position. I can't tell you how many clients I deal with this who have had experiences or who haven't even yet had negative experiences, but because of their interest Mm. in anything that isn't, you know, standard, you know, whatever standard in their culture is. Some cultures, standard sex is still missionary position only when you're married, but anything that isn't standard, they fully believe that anything they get is, is, is what they deserve because they're shameful creatures. And there's nowhere where this gets addressed. I, I have to just say that I am so enthused by what you just talked about, because, you know, um, when I was speaking with my BFF, Bindi, you know, and she said, you know, do you have any feedback on, on you know, the talking points that I said, this is going to evolve so organically. Uh, I don't, I don't need to speak anymore. I want to hear that beautiful Australian accent. <laughs> um, the, the idea is though, you know, I just knew kind of with this powerhouse that this was going to evolve. I'm so ecstatic about what you just said, because the idea of, being well, but what both of you just said actually cross over into a very important area, which is that it does happen with people that we know. Um, yes. our bodies do respond, um, yep. and chil- children who are molested or who have who experience incest, their bodies respond, and Absolutely. what they tell us is they must have liked it, they must have wanted it, therefore, they're dirty. Well, in actuality. What I learned in my own healing experience is, you know, masturbation is actually also a form of self-soothing anxiety. So when you see somebody who's masturbating profusely and they're ashamed of this because they associate it with this, this perpetration that's been done to them, the reality is they're trying to release anxiety from their body and they're associating this the whole while with something dirty and wrong and it makes them mm-hmm. feel dirty. Do I like this? I, I love what you said, Dr. Lori Beth, about BDSM and the differences and all of that because, um, and you too, Callie, you know, it's when we know someone, and it is most often when we know someone, our guards are down, and it's as though we know someone and we're in this relationship that we have consented to, and then the script gets flipped. And because we were in a relationship or because we signed up for, certain rules of engagement, those rules of engagement change. And we feel like because there are people that we know or people that we were close to, we lose the right to be able to say anything because I, I would. Yeah. I actually did take him to court and put him in, 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 in prison for a little while. Um, yeah, but sure. I was really, but it was because it was so extreme. I was badly damaged. Um, and so it was so extreme that I was able to say to the police, at this point, I withdrew my consent. And yeah. they were able to believe me. It, but I also, there were some cultural things that helped. Like, you know, I, um, 
was this, you know, pale Jewish girl and he was black. And so, you know, that, that in that part of Massachusetts at that time was perfect in terms of protecting me and putting the per- perpetrator where he belonged. Had he been a white university student, it would not have gone the way that it did. But we've seen and white university students do just that and walk. Absolutely. So I had that, I hate that I had that advantage, but I did and I used it. Um, and so I didn't have the shame from not speaking, but I had the confusion afterwards anyway, because I would think about him and I would be turned on and I would, I didn't know which bits I liked and which bits I didn't and how much of him I still loved. And that actually took more than 20 years, that part of it to untangle, you know, the, the, the actual trauma stuff was relatively, it wasn't easy. I'm I'm not going to, I'm not gonna lie. It wasn't easy, but in comparison to dealing with the shame it was, and so many people, you know, particularly kids who are molested, particularly what they call soft molest, you know, a soft molest, those are the ones where people um, invade your boundaries and invade your space and they watch you and they say inappropriate things. And this is often family members. And yet it's nothing, it's not bad enough to call a molest. So usually um, mom is also involved in gaslighting the hell out of the child who says, this doesn't feel okay. Could you make them stop? Mm. The shame that they're left with is just, it's unbelievably toxic and so hard to dig out. And it wasn't bad enough to give it voice and to say I was traumatized. Um, And so in a room full of people, you know, when I used to run trauma groups and you'd have, horrible events of, you know, criminal acts that were done. And then you'd have the, the, the soft molestation, the invasion of boundaries, the, the total, um, the total merging of an adult person with a child's psyche and, and the, the filth and the worthlessness that came from that. And you'd have clients say, I can't even, I, how could I even talk about that? when I have somebody sitting next to me who was gang raped in the cult. And that's the other thing that we do with shame is that we tell ourselves, unless it was life or death, unless I was, you know, hanging upside down, being flogged, you name it. It's not, it's not, it wasn't big enough. It wasn't, it wasn't harmful enough. What's the matter with me? Why I can't just get over it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you when you don't want to eat everything on your plate and you think to yourself, little children in Ethiopia are dying. Right. You know, and I remember, I remember using an analogy like that. And my therapist at the time said to me, um, and yeah, I've t- talked about my therapist on podcasts before. I mean, my God, she'll be forever part of my psyche eternally. Um, but the idea, she, she said, so if you, yes, I'm, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder, uh, among other wonderful things that I've survived and thrived from in my life. Um, that was one of my ways of coping. And so she said, so would you like to send the food that you're not eating to Ethiopia? And that's the kind of idea when it comes to shame. Okay. So because you, because you weren't gang raped, we're not going to honor your shame because somehow that actually heals the person sitting next to you to not honor yeah, what, what, is, you, what you carry. Yeah. What, what does it do for, what does it do for them? Actually, I I don't know if you find this, but I certainly do that, 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 that soft molestation. I love the way you described that emerging, right? And that, Mm -hmm. that 
is so much in some ways so much more insidious. Yes. I had earlier I had early life trauma like that, so I relate to that. Um, and when I compare the two, which did more emotional damage, the really dramatic thing I went through and the earlier life stuff, it was the earlier life stuff because I couldn't tease out what was okay and what wasn't okay. And I couldn't pay attention to my intuition because that had been so overridden that, and and I'd been so gaslit that that's what I, uh, my beliefs were merged and it, so I didn't feel worthy to talk about it. And it was definitely something wrong with me. And I see that with clients as well, because you can't, you can't point a finger at it and say, oh, it's this big thing. It becomes really difficult to give a voice to and to dig out. But we didn't get to that really big thing without the seedlings that were planted way back then, right? Yeah. The really big thing we can identify as really big. It was earth shattering, it was shaking. But as Callie was explaining through her relationship that she was in, you know, Callie, as you so appropriately stated, you know, you, you weren't used to, you know, yeah. having that voice. You weren't used to self-protecting. So why would you in that relationship? It's we're taught these things and then the abuse comes. But we've self-abused for years. We, we've without even necessarily understanding what we've, you know, we listen to our own voice more than any other voice that we have. So if that voice is saying unkind things, if that voice is, if that voice is holding us back, if that voice is saying you should be afraid or, or, or we're not even aware, you know, um, we interpret that voice as our own. That voice isn't ours. Mm -mm. That voice, that voice is someone else's who decided that they were going to take over our radio station and, change the channel. And what we've been listening to was a bunch of bullshit and lies. They're not our lies. They're not our shame. But we're just tuned into the wrong channel. Bindi, I love my that DJ. analogist. My own Bindi, my DJ, you, know, you know everything. You know everything about being tuned into the wrong channel um, and, the, and, the right, and the right channel. Um, I want to ask you, you know, what, what is your experience with this i mean you're Uh, you know do we have that much time um (laughs) um, oh lord i mean i've spoken with you all um on on my um big bucket of shame um and you know from all areas of life uh from sexuality body image um yeah relationships um money you name it i've been there um and yeah, it, it is the hardest part of any trauma that you go through is that shame um, because, yeah, you don't feel worthy of anything. You just want to hide, you want to be invisible and and that then impacts everything else. So, you know, it's it's like a puzzle and if if the shame is the biggest piece, the rest of it doesn't fit together, you know, and so if – you continue to go through that spiral as we've been talking about, um, you're never going to actually have any change or personal growth or, or actually, you know, get anywhere. Um, so you really have to go through those stages of, you know, being kind to yourself and, and being compassionate and forgiving yourself um, for, like you said, Ronay, that self-abuse that you, you do to get through this shame. Um, so, yeah, you name it. <laughs> I've done it. Um, so I completely 
uh, resonate with all of you. And I thank you all for sharing your own experience. And I didn't even need to ask for it either, by the way. Um, so thank you so much for that because I know, you know, it, it is it can be a trigger for some people. So, um, yeah, for me, um, I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that experience. But as, as you all help other people through shame, um, you know, uh, Dr. Ronna, you and I often say you can't take people where you haven't been. Um, and, and as we've just shared, we've all, we've all been somewhere, right? Um, I, I want to hear from you how you help clients um, in your own way to get through this shame and, and the effects of it. So I might start with Callie on this one. Sure. Um, what I do with my clients is I walk them through, first of all, I sort of open them up and let, and let them talk because most people, when we're, when we're talking about relationships, a lot of what I get is people coming to me and it's like, I can't stand my partner. He's doing this. She's doing that. Like, and they kind of need to get it out. And so I want to encourage them to do just that and get those things out and off their chest that they need to get out and off their chest. Oftentimes, just by letting them express themselves, I can see these pieces of shame that are behind the actions that are going on or the way that they're interacting with a partner. Um, but, you know, as, as a coach, I have to be able to sort of guide someone to a realization in a very um, sort of gentle approach, you know, in a very gentle way. And so uh, what I work with my clients on doing is identifying these healthy self-esteem messages that we would like to be there, but instead we rather have these um, messages of uh, toxic shame, toxic, I'm sorry, toxic shame or subconscious toxic shame. Um, you know, we're running off of these sort of codependent programs or these narcissistic programs that, um, again, sort of all tie back to the shame that we felt, you know, and experienced during our formative years. But at, until we realize sort of the message that is going on in the background of the thing that we're doing in the forefront, it's really difficult for us to change our behavior mm -hmm. because where's the motivation? You know, um, we want things to change, but then we are not sure how to change the things. And so oftentimes when I can relate it back to a client of, I, I will say probably about 75% of the stuff that couples, the conflict that couples are experiencing in relationships goes back to unhealthy messages that they're experiencing. Those, that, those shameful messages that are running in the background. So I work with my clients very intensely on identifying those messages. And so as they're carrying through their relationships, we can go, okay, here's what's going on in the surface, but what's going on in the background? Let, let's deal with that. Because if we can deal with that and get to a place where we aren't you know, we're, we're triggered in the moment, but if we can deal with the cause of the trigger, the trigger kind of goes away. So, you know, it's, 
It's about understanding the messages that are going on and being able to work through those and change those messages so that we can step into our own healthy self-esteem and learn to trust ourselves and our own intuition, listen to that intuition, trust that intuition, um, and really act on it. Bringing awareness. Mm-hmm. Bringing, bringing, bringing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Bringing that awareness that, the, that what you are doing, you think, you think that, you know, you think that you're the puppeteer, but really you're the puppet, you know, and who's really pulling the strings. Yep. You know? Yep. And, um, Ronay, um, how about you? How do you help clients through shame and its effects? Wow. Um, well, for each client, it's very, very different. Um, I will tell you that one of the things that I think is so necessary, obviously, is the awareness, the the me, not me, right? What is me and what is not me? Yeah. Um, the ability to express themselves within a safe space, and also the understanding that while shame and trauma can be managed, it's not cured. It's managed. And the reason why I say there's no cure is because on a cellular level, we can free ourselves from shame and trauma, absolutely. But I firmly believe that our best selves actually come from using the amazing insight the amazing gut, the way in which we come to know our own voice and to feel that feeling in our body that sent us those messages for so long that we ignored or that we misinterpreted or whatever the case may be, it becomes a superpower. So for me, you know, um, I've had an expression, I guess, since I first began this work, um, you know, back in, I won't even say how long it was. Um, long ago enough, I was, it was long ago. Um, I used to say, make trauma your bitch. And, you know, I know that that can sound derogatory, but that's exactly how I meant it. I really meant make it work for you. Make it work for you. And make your trauma actually be something that you hone, that you actually take and, and turn into a tool. Um, that can sometimes go too far. And I will tell you that in my own personal experience, being a wounded healer, one of the things I knew I was never going to do and thankfully never have done because I believe that working on myself is a lifelong journey. Find a friggin' therapist or coach who's also working on them, please. Um, because they do not belong healing themselves through you. Secondarily, um, and if they're not humble enough to do that, then find someone else, okay? Um, Because it's a lifelong journey to continue to improve upon who we are as people. Um, We we bump into and walk into things every single day that don't necessarily spark old trauma, but we get new ones. And so long as we're alive, we have things to be exploring, learning, and growing from. So for me, understanding about the going too far I've never utilized a client of mine to heal from, but I will tell you that this idea of being a wounded healer sometimes in my past has confused me that my trauma was only meant something and was only useful to me if I could use it to heal another. 
that that was its purpose. And I'm not ashamed to say that in later years, I actually said, no, no, it's not just for others, Ronnie. You didn't just go through what you went through so that you could help others heal. You went through what you went through and you deserve to be happy. And you deserve to not just have your trauma work for other people, but to also have it be something that reminds you of the happiness that you deserve. Not just what you, not just the passion and purpose behind your work, but also the passion and purpose behind your play that you got robbed from since the time that you were a little kid. And so being a doctor who has to still do the work on themselves and remind myself, um, you know, one of the things I feel like I can offer my clients is we don't have to have shared the exact same experience and we never will. I don't have to be a victim of gang rape to understand self-loathing, self-hatred and the desire to die. Um, it's about giving voice to it. It's about recognizing that that voice is not your own. It's about recognizing that it's a lifelong journey. And it's about recognizing that it can be your greatest strength, but not to overly focus on the idea of being a trauma survivor superhero. Our job ultimately really is to just be a fucking human and have a really good time doing that. And that I feel is the, the other side of, of shame and trauma is not, I'm a survivor. I'm a thriver. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I'm someone who dances and sings and stands up on a table at a party and tells jokes. And, you know, people think I'm the drunk one in the room when I haven't had a drop to drink. And all of that is also part of healing. It's not just doing the work on ourselves constantly. It's allowing ourselves the right and the privilege to live a beautiful life. And that to me is trauma's greatest fuck you. Amen, sister. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And Lori Beth. I see it slightly differently. I don't look at it as managing. Um, From from the, the first time I spoke about this in public in a professional setting, I will say how long ago it was. It was 1986. Um, so it was 1986 and I, um, I talked about from victim to survivor to beyond. And what I said was the idea is to go into life, that that's a part that's not who you are. And so I think we just use different language, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with similar ideas. So I'm constantly telling people, no, you don't have to manage this. You can use it, but you can have life. You can't have life while it's still live and it still fills your present. So for each client with me, it's different, but I always end up doing some trauma work. Um, I do. So creation of a safe space is key. Again, the awareness piece is also key. I do a lot of education and particularly because I'm dealing with people often who are sexual minorities and relationship minorities who don't have good information. I end up spending a lot of time giving people permission to be that happy with what they're doing that isn't actually shameful or unhealthy. It's just a variation, but they've been told it's shameful and unhealthy. 
And, um, oh God, the idea of, uh, the idea that I would ever stop working on myself makes me cringe. I, 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 <laughs> you know, it's just something that is, as you say, a lifelong practice. Um, and so I end up doing things in retreat settings. I end up doing things through, through play, through games to illustrate in as many different ways. I, I guess I believe that as many different mediums as you can go at this, you get a, a better response. And that's because it's what's been like for me personally. Like, you know, when I finished one kind of medium for a while, there was some other medium that allowed me to access it in a different way. And so I, I kind of, I kind of do it that way. Um, and really working on that. Yeah. You get a life. So becoming your authentic self and actually being able to say, Hey, look, this is me. This is me. I'm cool with me. You don't have to be cool with me. There will be people out there who are, I will find my people. Most importantly, I'm cool with me. I know what my truth is. I recognize my voice now and I know what belongs to other people. And I know how to recognize gaslighting, particularly the gaslighting I would do to myself, because that's what we, as you say, we internalize it and we learned it. And I know how to dig that out. And I know, you know, I've got my ride or die people that I know I can reality test with, because that's one that I found personally and with clients that that's one that you is one of the hardest ones that you still need that place where you can kind of go, okay, this sounds really crazy to me. And this person's telling me that this is a normal and okay thing. And it sounds really crazy to me. What do you think? Yeah, that's some of that crazy shit. Really similar to the other stuff, right? But, you know, I, and so I'll still do that. So I have my, you know, help people to kind of realize that they can get some of that in their support system. I also spend a lot of time because I'm in the, both the, the non-monogamy community and the BDSM community and the leather community is part of the BDSM community in particular, telling people that no, your significant other is not going to heal your trauma for you. And no, you really can't do this all as a self-help exercise. And yeah, you really need to see a professional. I won't tell you what kind of professional, there are a variety of kinds that you, you might see, but that actually you do yourself a disservice by thinking that there are three words that somebody's going to give you that are going to heal everything. You know, that magic bullet mm. Absolutely. and getting the, getting the idea that you should heal within two months or, or 10 days or, yeah. you know, and that you don't, and that there's something, cause then people get sh ashamed of coming back to work. Mm. So I do a lot of short-term work with people and I say, we're going to do this short-term intensive work. We've agreed to do this short-term intensive work. That doesn't mean you won't want to come back and work on something else at some other point. There's no shame in coming back, but when you're feeling good and you're finally feeling like your you know, symptoms aren't kicking you in the ass and you, and you have some purpose and you're feeling happy with yourself, go live. Mm. Come back when something is poking at you. You don't have to stay here throughout. And you make the decision. I'm not going to make the decision for you. And people are always overwhelmed with that as a thing, because I guess still many therapists are very wedded to the 45 minutes, um, you know, once a week model or two or three times a week model, but it's always 45 minutes. I work with unfixed session times. I very rarely do a 45 minute session. I don't really know what one Amen. looks like. You know, I'm Amen. looking for... 
for change. You want to see somebody better than when they came in the room with you. Exactly. I don't want to stop at the peak of their anxiety because it's my time clock. Mm. It, it, so I, you know, it's, I tend to be a little bit unconventional, um, but it seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the results. I like the results, but then I'm grateful for the people who were unconventional with me because mm. I did the conventional stuff. Um, because I believed in, 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 as a therapist, not everybody does it. Of course, if you train in the United States as a clinical psychologist, you will experience therapy and that's wonderful in the United Kingdom. That's not true. So I trained in the U S so I not only experienced it as mandatory, but I also did it for my own sake. But, um, so I did more than whatever they required at the time. I think they required one year. I probably have 10 years therapy there <laughs> in, in that period, but here, you know, there are lots of therapists who never have any therapy yeah. because it's not required or 20 hours of therapy is required um, or a little bit. It, it is. It's, it's petrifying to me. Mm. I'm like, you don't you. How do you know what your stuff is and make sure that your stuff isn't contaminating? Right. Yeah. And and I'll say to people, uh, yeah, I do therapy, personal growth, all sorts of things. And I said, you don't have to do it the same way all the time. I'm not sitting in a room doing, you know, once weekly therapy right now. I've got some, I've got a really cool group on surrender that I'm doing. I've got an accountability partner, you know, and that's stuff, stuff that I'm working on, but it's always personal growth and it's always working on your own stuff. And it's always making sure that you keep moving forward. And if you're working with people, that's essential. Mm. Yeah. And then it's not boring and it's not a chore. It's exciting. I yeah. know it's fun. It's it's yeah. fun. You learn things, you you gain skills, you learn things, you have a good time. I don't know where everybody gets the idea that this is always so gloom and doom mm. and horrible and you know. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. this is not a podcast. This is a friggin' <laughs> retreat waiting to happen. I don't know how we're all <laughs> yeah. supposed to get together, but take me to church, woman. This is this, this the four of us need to go somewhere and like, I don't know, bonfire, burn bras. I, I don't know what the hell, but this is, this is a, this, this is a, this is a powerhouse group that needs to go have some friggin' fun. Um, well, this is, um, seriously, I am, I am in the pro we're in the process of, of moving further away from civilization. And, um, we're looking at places that will have the space for us to run at retreat where people can do stuff. Uh, that's unconventional and really kind of do some of the parts that I don't get to do with people right now, uh, just because it's not, although, although I must say that during the um, pandemic, we uh, started a virtual event and we started a virtual play event and, um, and have been quite successful. And people were like, you're doing what? And I'm like, we want to show people what this is like. We want to show people how much fun they can be having, that not everything is serious. Because there's a like there's an idea in the BDSM community that people will focus on the serious and the intensity. And the, it's like, actually, sometimes we have fun. Mm. We wouldn't do this if it wasn't fun. Mm. God forbid. And, God, but people God, God, God forbid you look at something sexual and say that can be fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't understand why you would do it if it wasn't fun. I just somebody saying to me, "Oh, it's not sexual. I don't do this for sex, for sexual gratification. It's this, that, and the other." And I looked at the person and I said, um, "I'm a masochist. If I didn't get gratification out of having somebody beat my butt, I wouldn't be doing it, right? <laughs> like, you know, 
If you couldn't find a way, I mean, I have a friend who isn't a masochist, but she likes to please somebody. It's part of her thing. So she gets gratification out of it. But it's like, if you weren't getting gratification out of it, why would you do this? Yeah. I'm having real trouble. Like what's wrong with saying, actually, this is what I find fun. And you may think it's really weird and that's okay. You do what you find fun and I'll do what I find fun. But that's exactly. That's the exact definition to me of breaking through shame right there Mm, is, you know what, I'm going to live and I'm going to have fun and you don't have to agree with it and that's fine. And I'm not going to shame you, but I'm going to find my people and I'm going to live, damn it. And that that to me, that, that to me is the answer to what, what does the other side of shame look like? That's what the other side of shame. That's what it looks like. I'm out constantly, you know, one of our favorite phrases is, is, um, you know, your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay. Mm. And it's like, don't yuck somebody's yum. Yep. And and I hear, you can imagine I hear everything. And there are some things that people have said, and I've thought, I cannot understand what you get out of that. I would never want to do it. But look at the smile on your face. Yeah. Go for it. Have a good time. I, there is someone out there for everyone. There's more than one person out there for everyone. <laughs> I want a I t-shirt. I want a t-shirt that says, don't yuck someone's yum. I do. I'm sorry. I will, I will, I will quote you. I, I will, but I, I need a t-shirt. I'm just trying to make it myself. No, I mean, he, he's he's already made one. So I will, I will get that put oh. up on the website. Yeah, it's got, well, you could think. Yeah, seriously. They oh gave God. me it. My my marketing folk that I've been working with and my VA gave me a nickname this year. They nicknamed me Notorious LBB. <laughs> and so we got this, this, we made this thing with, I have a little crown on the Notorious. Um, and they said the reason they nicknamed me that was because I, I just go for it. And they're like, we don't know where you get the energy, but you just do it. You, do, you just do it. You do it. And, and you actually produce the result and you just kind of look at people like, well, I'm living now. Thank you very much. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that thing over there because you think I should. There are things in life you have to do. And I do those because I'm a, I'm a functioning adult. But there's more to life and being a functioning adult than doing those things that you have to do. And I make no excuses for myself. When I put my erotica out there, I finally actually put a book of just my erotica and all of its extreme. And I was doing a reading and a couple of, of clients, you know, were going to come to the reading, former clients were going to come to the reading. Current clients already knew the stuff because it's on the website. But, and I just said to them, I said, like, I, I'm, I need to warn you that this is really graphic. They're like, yeah, okay. And I said, and you may not like what you hear, but I'm just going to ask you, because you're not clients, just don't yuck my yum. Right. Mm. If you don't like it, you don't have to like it. Just don't yuck my yum. I won't yuck yours. You don't yuck mine. And he just thinks like, what a concept. (laughs) What a concept that people can just, you know, you can actually have respect for other people's desires and ways of doing things and not shame them. And it's not just sexual. Don't yuck my yum because I want to, you know, like some, the guy who likes to train spot. (laughs) Right? Like, why should we make fun of him? Mm. Why should we shame him? And we do it culturally everywhere. Mm. Because you are not like me, I'm going to, I'm going to shame you. I'm going to mock you and shame you. We fear what we don't understand. Mm. And so living is about, living is about learning. And if you can have fun while you learn, well, then that's what we're all here for. Right. And I, I won't yuck your young. 
that t-shirt and I can't wait for people to ask me where I got it. <laughs> um, and uh, Bindi, I'm going to get one for you too. Okay. We're both, we're both, we're both rocking that t-shirt. I'm just letting you know. You're on. Um, we're going to have so much fun. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. This, I knew this was going to be epic. Um, and um, yeah, I'm never wrong. My gut is never wrong on these things. Um, now, um, we're just going to do a final wrap up here, ladies. Um, and I want to find out from you um, what your final tip or uh, takeaway uh, from our conversation is on shame that you'd like to share. I, I'd like to start with my own, if you don't mind. Um, uh, you know, something that's really come up for me through the conversation we've had um, today is, you know, getting through the shame. Um, and living life, you know, um, once you can get through that, the, the life you can have, I mean, gosh, look at, look at Ronay and Laurie Beth as great examples and you too, Callie, um, of getting through absolute trauma and seeing the other side of it and really living life. Um, you know, I think that is absolutely beautiful. And the fact that you help other people through that, um, Another constant thing um, that I say on this show is healing is a constant evolution because we're humans and we evolve. Um, so our healing never ends. Uh, so those are two big takeaways for me. Um, I'm going to hand over to you, Kelly. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I will say that my big takeaway is really about – listening to that intuition. I mean, even after doing years of work on myself and doing, um, you know, coaching others, guiding others through this process, it, like I always tell people, I'm still human, right? Like I'm still in a marriage. I still have a relationship and it's not perfection. Like we still argue sometimes and like, because we're human and, um, you know, but if we can listen to that intuition, um, and as both, you know, Dr. Lori and Dr. Renee said, it's the, the real me voice, not the other voice. If you can tap into that real me voice and listen to that intuition, it's always going to guide you to the right thing. Um, because even if it guides you to a, a mistake, if you continue to listen to that voice, it's, you're going to learn from it. You're going to grow from it. And ultimately you're going to be better off, but we have to learn to tap into that, to bust through the shame that we've been programmed with. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, Lori Beth. So following on from that, yeah, that intuition is is crucial. Um, and I love this, the opposite of shame is life. What you want is your authentic you. Mm. Fuck everybody else. Excuse me, but that's the way I say it, right? Fuck everybody here, else. Here. I, you know, it's like... I and and I, I people laugh at me because I said it took me till I got a little bit older. You know, I'm 58 now. I really fully embody the fuck everybody else, right? It's like, <laughs> really, you want me to waste time worrying about what you think? Sorry, no. 
I want to help people get that earlier. You don't need to wait until you're older to get that because that's the true bit of life where you go, because once you feel that you don't worry what other people think, you can actually take them more into account Mm. in a very, in a much more authentic way than you do when you're just taking them into account because you're afraid they're going to abandon you or treat you badly or think badly of you or what all, you know, all of that stuff. So there's that bit and the opposite of, of, of shame is life. And that this is a lifelong learning in that's life. The other thing that I say is that, you know, everyone's, you know, we're all works in progress, every single one. And there's no such thing as a mistake. Mm, Absolutely. I learned from everything I do. There are worse learnings Mm. and learnings that I could have probably, you know, um, I I say to myself, Oh, I could have done without that learning, right? That really sucked. And there are easier learnings, but nothing is a mistake. And that goes back to what Kelly is saying is that when I can tap into that, which is my true voice, my true intuition, whether it comes from me or from my higher power, if you're spiritual, whatever you see, I'm spiritual. I don't tend to use higher power, but mm. whether it comes from here or if it comes from a, a spiritual place, if I can tap into that and not the others, then it's not going to steer me wrong. Mm. That's always correct. What sometimes isn't correct is your interpretation of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with the, you know, what other people think of you as their business, not yours. So yeah, fuck them. Uh, Ron A. (laughs) Well, to just, you know, fill in and round out what these other amazing, you all three uh, have contributed today. Um, I think the highlights for me, really are um, that your gut will never misguide you. You're only going to get off the beaten path when you've learned to ignore that gut. And so knowing what is yours and what is not is deeply important. Once you find yourself, never let yourself go. And once you find yourself, get ready to have some fun being yourself because that's what this life is ultimately about. It's about wringing out every moment we can of what this very beautiful life has to offer. And if there were hard times behind us or ahead of us, then let's spend the rest of the time celebrating getting through the other side. And we didn't get through the other side to sit there and look back on everything that we've gone through. We got to the other side to have a damn good time and to really enjoy this life that we've been given. And if that means fuck them all, then that means fuck them all. And if you decide to literally fuck them all, call Dr. Lori Beth. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) We will, we Uh. will, we will make you make sure that you don't feel ashamed of doing that. There you go. There you go. Oh boy. I love that. that no is judgment. Touche. Um, oh God, I cannot tell you how much fun and joy this has been, ladies. Um, uh, before we go, I just want you to share how people can get in touch with you and, um, you know, find out more about you. So we'll start with you, Ronay. Um, you can get in touch with me uh, via Instagram or through uh, my website, um, livetreatmentvip.com, um, or um, through, our, through my podcast, 
Get Real with Dr. Ron A is the name of the podcast. It's also the Instagram handle. Um, we have podcasts that come out weekly. Um, and you will get to hear more of Bindi and I doing what we do in real time, which is discussions like this and walking ourselves and others to the other side. Um, but uh, the best way to reach me is to call the number um, that's on www livetreatmentvip.com. You will always get a live person. Um, we're real people, just like you. And we're here to help you live your best life. Awesome. Lori Beth? Um, okay, so like the easiest way to reach me is probably through my website, which is drloribethbisbee.com. Let's be simple if we can. Um, and um, I too have a podcast, which is the A to Z or A to Z of sex, depending on what country you're in at the time, that comes out every Thursday at 7 p.m. UK time. And um, so that's a weekly one. I've got an erotica one that comes out on a Monday Um Although that I've got many less episodes, but I've got episodes from 2016 onwards on the A to Z of sex, and we're still going. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> so if you want, if you want to learn stuff, I mean, there's repeats, but there's also not repeats. Um, so if you want to learn about almost anything to do with sex or sexuality, if I haven't covered it yet, you know I will. So you can go and head over there and listen to that. Um, on Instagram, I am at Dr. Bisbee. On uh, Twitter, I'm at Dr. Bisbee. On TikTok, I'm at Lori Beth UK, and I do an awful lot of TikToking. I do Instagram lives with my leather sister, who's a life coach, uh, Mrs. Blue Frost, fairly regularly, usually on a Monday or Tuesday, and we talk about all sorts of shit. Um, and um, I try to do a live on each one of my platforms on a week weekly basis which is crazy but i do amazing um emailing me is probably the easiest way to reach me though i do have phone number there and i if you ring the phone number you will no doubt get my personal answering machine like you won't you're not going to be getting a, um an answering service i tend to end up answering those things but i'm much i'm up at weird times so if you email me you can find that you actually get a response at three in the morning because yeah. i might be awake <laughs> Awesome. Uh, and Kelly. Um, you can find me on social media, uh, on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm Callie Mao Coaching. And, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Callie Mao. Uh, I also have brand new, just busted into the TikTok world. Uh, I'm at Coach Callie. And um, if you're ready to sort of explore that that side of your intimate relationship uh, and you're ready to just get on the phone with me, the best way to do that is to go to relationshiprevelation.com and uh, book your Zoom call and let's talk. Amazing. All right. Well, again, I can't thank you enough uh, for being a part of this special panel. Um, there has been so much gold that uh, we've shared today and I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of it. Um, thank you all for being a part of the ethical evolution. Thank you, Bindi. Thank, Thank you. you. That was so great. Thank you, Dr. Lori Beth. You guys are awesome. Thank you, guys. So are you. That was so much fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. 
If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.